0: Jesus Christ. As Melvin had read the sermon text, which is Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20, I would like to make several observations, okay? The first observation, the first observation I would like to make is the gospel compels people to. To believe in Christ Jesus. The gospel compels people to believe in Christ Jesus. The second observation the gospel assures salvation to those who truly believe. Third observation the gospel illustrates that God preserves his people in Christ Jesus. And fourth observation. The gospel glorifies God's only son, Jesus Christ. Those are the four observations that I want you to be aware of as we go through this test. Um, did you know that 360,000 babies are born each day? Each day, that, is, that equals to... 130 million babies born per year. That is a staggering number. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, each of these uh, babies will become adults, uh, adult men and women. Uh, Their lives, of course, will be different from one another. Uh, Some of them will be successful. Some of them will not. Some of them... Uh, will be husbands and wives. Some of them will be single. Uh, Some of them will be leaders. Some of them will be followers. Some of them will be Christians, and some of them will not. Only God knows why they were born and how their lives will turn out to be. God has written their lives in stone, just as he did ours. Uh, from eternity past, so their lives will turn out exactly how he wants their lives to be. Uh, how do I know this? Well, you can take pointers of what he said to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Over the course of human history, Billions of, and billions of babies have been born, okay? But only some of their names. It's written down in history, and we know some of their names as well. For example, Alexander the Great. We learn about him in history classes. All right? We learn about Caesar Augustus and from the Bible and from other uh, history artifacts. Um, we know about Martin Luther King Jr. That was in majority of some of your lifetime as well. All right? Uh, these men had a special task that God allowed and caused them to accomplish. Nevertheless, these men and many alike will never compare to the birth and task of Jesus Christ. On... Uh, the name on the name of Jesus uh, on the birth of Jesus on uh, Jesus' birth was a turning point for time and history. Uh, last year in December, we previously learned that a multitude of angels suddenly appeared to the shepherds, which is shown in verse thirteen. They appear because a divine act occurred. What was the divine act? It was the incarnation of Jesus Christ's birth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That is to say the second person of the Trinity, the, the Son of God became flesh. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, as John chapter 1, verse 14 says. The word of God took upon human flesh, was born of a virgin, and on that particular night, he was a baby who was laid in a manger. This is why uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Have the mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking a form, the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form. This is why... We say that God became man and not man became God. A bit different there. And Jesus, as we know, is 100% God and 100% man. And as many will say along with me, God, I mean, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Two natures in one person. This divine act took place. On a starry night, it was a night that will forever be memorable. It was the single greatest night that altered history, the the future, and time itself. It was the single greatest night that changed the very fabric of reality. It was the night when heaven kissed the earth. It was the night when the mundane became divine. It was every other life-changing, compared to every other life-changing event, is trivial compared to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Even Peter says that the angels longed and waited for this divine night, looking upon the mystery. Of what would take place? They waited for centuries to glimpse at God's redemptive plan for creation. Angels are spectators, and on that night, they were anticipating and they had the privilege to finally observe how the Trinity. Willingly and single-handedly acted on the behalf of undeserving sinners. To make an atonement for transgressors. By removing the scarlet stain that separated God and man, which no human will could ever do. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we are beneficiaries to this salvific. Plan that God started. Angels not only spectators, but they are also worshipers. The angels were worshiping and praising God for what he has done and how he kept his promises. According to verse 14, a song, a song of praise, saying, Glory to God in the highest. They were exalting God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Angels are good examples to help us understand how to per, uh, properly worship God. They were worshiping God prior to the incarnation of Jesus. And on his birth, they was worshiping Him then. As I'm speaking. They are worshiping God now. And while the priest team was up here, they were worshiping God then as well. Uh, when I was a child, I, I spent countless hours in worship services, um, listening to long-winded preachers who whooping, uh, whooping and hollering, um, choirs singing the same song ten times in a row. Um, I dreaded those services, and I still dread those services today. Um, they, you know, you're. I mean, this is, I was a child and they lasted forever, and I'm looking at my mom, how long do we have to be here? We're talking about five or more hours in one setting. Well, we all had I've had uh, good and bad examples uh, or experiences in worship services. Uh, Depending on the worship service, we could be influenced negatively or positively. However, I'm sure the shepherds had a positive experience seeing and being part of the worship service that took place on that night. While the angels was conducting and, and, uh, the worship service, I'm sure the shepherds was in awe. They enjoyed that angelic uh, praise to God the Father. On that night of Jesus' birth, the shepherds may have watched the angels singing and praise for, for several hours to God. I'm sure all of us wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind to be part of that worship service. The purity of it. You know, that was the first and best Pentecostal service you could be a part of. We truly don't know how long the angels were worshiping and praising God on that night. It could have been hours or minutes. Despite how long the experience was the shepherds enjoyed themselves according to verse 15 luke does not tell us the amount of time the shepherds witnessed the angels worshiping and praising god the text simply says when the angels went away from them into heaven when the angels went away from them into heaven The angels suddenly left the shepherds to themselves. The angels vanished from the sight of the shepherds. And they resumed their worship in heaven. An individual would naturally respond with fear whenever they come across an angel. And rightfully so. Scripture provides several examples of this. We went over it uh, plenty of times. There are examples in the old and new testament In the new testament Zechariah the father of John the Baptist and and also Mary the mother of Jesus they both had visitation by the same angel Gabriel and he told them to fear not he told them to do not be afraid in the same fashion he told the same angel told the shepherds to Be not afraid. You know, I recall um, being legitimately afraid of dying while standing in front of Niagara Falls, standing in front of the railing of Niagara Falls. I was scared because of the grandeur of the falls. only thing that is stopping me from falling over is this uh, dinky railing in front of me. I understood how Niagara, the danger that Niagara Falls posed. I imagine the shepherds felt the same way or was feeling the same way on that day. The shepherds' fearfulness of the angel, of the angel Gabriel was warranted because they might have believed that the angel Gabriel was an angel of death, that they were going to die. They were afraid for their lives. But Gabriel told them to fear not. Be not afraid because he brought good news to them. What was the good news? The angel shared to the shepherds. The angel informed the shepherds that in the city of Bethlehem, the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord was born, and his name is Jesus. As you know, the good news and the, uh, the good news and the angel brought good news to the shepherds on that night. The good news means the gospel. And that's what the angel shared. The good news is about the Savior who rescues uh, those whom God chose before the foundation of the world. The good news is about exalting the one who is the anointed Christ. The good news is about the Lord who we call Jesus. The good news is about Jesus because he is our only salvation. And the one who is willing, who was willing to dwell with sinners. You know, as a footnote, the meaning of Jesus' name means God saves. And we also use this name for Jesus as well, Emmanuel. God, which means God is with us. That is the epitome of the Incarnation. That God dwells with sinners. And this is what the shepherds heard on that night. After hearing and receiving the good news from the angel, they wanted to investigate the angel's words and understandably so. So they wanted to know if the angel's words were true or not. Can we believe what was said to us? So they said to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You know, what they have heard became priority above everything else. Everything else became less important the shepherd's own livestock so they were responsible for for sheep and goats and and things alike so what so since they were responsible for these things they couldn't just leave their livelihood they couldn't just leave their livestock in danger of thieves and wolves. That, won't be, that would be unimaginable to think about. Irresponsible. Either their sheep travel with them or they herd the other shepherds, I mean, hire other shepherds to watch their animals so that they can make it to Bethlehem to see Jesus. And this brings us to our first observation. The gospel compels people to believe in Christ Jesus. The gospel compels people to believe in Christ Jesus. The shepherd's actions should not be strange to you and me, it shouldn't be strange. They responded just like everyone else would have, after first hearing the revelation of the gospel and believing it. Their excitement ought to be a familiar uh, familiar with our personal experiences when we first heard the gospel. Can you recall your first genuine response to the gospel? After acknowledging that Jesus is Savior. After coming to the knowledge of truth in Jesus, how did you feel? Were you excited? Relief? Humbled? Convicted? Assured? Before you and I understood our need to be saved? Before God the Holy Spirit quickened our spirits into new life, changing us into a new creation. Before we made a confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. God the Father drew us to his son so that we can accept the invitation to know Jesus. That is to say the father called us to his son before we receive the gift of salvation. This is what John chapter 6, verse 37 says. Jesus said, all that the father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And in the following verses, it says, in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me, Draws him. God is the one who sent the angel to tell the shepherds the good news of the Savior. God is the person who allowed the shepherds to see the glory that shone around them on that particular night. All of this was done by God himself. Therefore, it was God who compelled the shepherds to come to his son. Jesus Christ on that night. The father extended the invitation. The shepherds accepted and sought after the son, Jesus. Pastor John MacArthur said this way. Those who truly believe the revelation of God in Christ will come to him. They will accept his invitation. The shepherds pursued Christ and they eventually found him. The Lord rescued my wife and I or my wife and me from the teachings of the prosperity gospel. Many of you know that we, the Lord, allowed us to escape um, that heretical uh, gospel, the, the heretical church that we uh, attended back in Georgia. He removed us from that church and settled us in a church where the preachers preach the gospel expositionally every Sunday. Every Sunday we'll go to this church, they will preach Christ and preach the gospel. This and and they preach with such clarity for us to understand and to believe. And God used the preaching. To soften our hearts and God, the Holy Spirit, convicted our hearts to the point where we repented and believed. God, the Holy Spirit, allowed my wife and I, my, my wife and me to realize the burden upon our sin. I vividly remember that night after the preaching of the gospel, my wife and I got in the car and we said we didn't know how much sinners we really were. Or should I say, are in present tense. But we were thrilled. Uh, So we got baptized and we were thrilled of our new life in Christ. Don't you see? That the preaching is what drew us to Christ, God's calling. The story about uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse uh, John chapter 4, illustrates exactly the actions of the shepherds. In John 4, Jesus asked a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. She was surprised that Jesus, a Jewish man, asked her, a Samaritan woman, to give him something to drink. We all know that the Jewish people despised the Samaritans because the Samaritans were half breeds, as they were called it. That is like saying, well, actually, that's a racial slur. That is like saying to a biracial person who is black and white, you're a mutt or a mud baby. Nevertheless, as Jesus and the Samaritan woman began to talk, she realized Jesus is a prophet who made known to her all that she was doing. She told, I mean, he told her, you have five husbands. And she was shocked. The story goes on. After Jesus revealed to her that he is the Messiah, she left his presence and told the village of Samaria. The Samaritan woman was also, I mean, the Samaritan people was also excited They drop everything to go back to where Jesus was. But she forgot to give Jesus that drink that he asked for. My point is, is when the gospel comes to you, you will leave everything and go tell everyone about what you know to be true. And this is what the Samaritans said. Many, it says, many Samaritans from that town believe in him because of the woman's testimony. And they, find, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And the Samaritan heard the Samaritans heard the good news from Jesus Himself. The same thing when it comes to the shepherds. They heard the good news from the angels. Uh, angel, they went to Bethlehem to go see it for themselves. Again, according to verse 10. And in eleven the angel said, Fear not for I behold before behold I bring you the gospel of great joy. I bring you the gospel of great joy. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel shared the good news. The shepherds believed the good news and they were compelled to seek after the good news, which is Christ Jesus. This is why the the shepherd's actions should not be a strange thing to you and me because everyone ought or should have reacted in a similar fashion to how the shepherds responded. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as it was in terms of how the shepherds responded to the good news. It could be subtle, but our hearts should have responded in a similar fashion. And just a side note, and this is true according to Scripture. Scripture. If you are unable to relate to this, I encourage you to question are you truly saved? If you have heard the gospel numerous of times, but was not compelled to believe, it is a fair thing to say, do you know Christ? Paul said to the Corinthians, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. We can only speculate how the shepherds found the young family. The passage does not say. Perhaps word of mouth allowed the news to spread rapidly of the baby being born in Bethlehem since it was a small village. Perhaps there was a bright luminous star in the sky, shining and pointing everyone towards the location where Jesus was born. Uh, Similar to the uh, Bit Dipper that points everyone to the north. We do not know, but what we do know is that they diligently search for the baby. They search for Jesus. You know, this is what Scripture says. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. They were looking for the lone awaited Messiah. And finally, this was their chance to be part of a historic moment. And it's historic because we're talking about it now. As you can read in verse 16, the shepherds hurry off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. They were not lackadaisical, they did not wait. Nor were they slothful, but they rushed to find Mary, Joseph, and the baby. It was seeking out of him. Is this you? Are you diligently seeking after Christ to find where he is? I assure you, he is not lost. This brings us to our second observation. The gospel assures salvation to those who truly believe. The gospel assures salvation to those who truly believe. How did the shepherds know the angel's words was true? How did the angel assure them? The answer is found in verses 12 and 16. Let's look at those two verses. In verse 12, the angel said, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and land in a manger. And in verse 16, it says the same thing. And they went with haste and found the baby, I mean found Mary and Joseph and the baby land in a manger. So claws in manger. That was the assurance the angel gave them. This is a fulfillment of God's words that God has given had gave to the angel, and the angel gave it to the shepherds. This is to assure them. This, it was quite common in Bethlehem to wrap babies in, in swaddling cloths. That wasn't out of the ordinary. That wasn't something new. In our culture, we do that uh, uh, something that is very similar to what I'm speaking of. But a baby landed in a manger... Addition to a baby being swaddled in claws, or baby claws, was the sign. All babies at that time wasn't land in a manger. That was assurance. And nothing else in this life. If you really think about it, nothing else in. This life can provide assurance of salvation. Nothing in this world is a guarantee. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ is. A family member of mine purchased some scratch-off tickets. Because her and her friends went to the store, purchased some scratch-off tickets. Her friend uh, won probably $40, $40, maybe $50, then it was this family member's turn to scratch our 1st scratch-off tickets. And what flabbergasted me when her friend said, do you believe? And my mom's like, believe in what? That you're going to lose your money? As I'm standing here telling you now, I will say to you, believe in the assurance that God has given us. Believe in the gospel. Because that is a guarantee. You know, as Ephesians chapter 1 says, after it's talked about a litany of our salvation being in Christ, specifically says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is a sign of our salvation, or should I say a seal of our salvation. Third observation. The gospel illustrates that God preserves his people in Christ Jesus. According to verses sixteen and eighteen, Luke writes, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it marvel at what the shepherds told them. Unbeknownst to Joseph and Mary, they were unaware of the angelic beings appearing to the shepherds. They had no idea of what transpired before the shepherds arrived. However, Joseph and Mary recounted their story too. They were having a Me Too movement. If you can recall The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary telling her that she would bear the son of the Most High. The angel uh, Joseph had a dream and within that dream it was confirmed to him that his wife Mary would bear a son. The shepherds Mary and Joseph dawned on them that everything that took place happened for a reason. Look at verse 18 again. Look at verse 18. It says, And all who heard it wonder at what the shepherds told them. Who is all? you would have identified someone, if there was a Facebook at that time, who would have been the all? The all, we know that the shepherds were there. We know that Joseph and Mary was there. We know that Jesus was there, obviously. But let me suggest to you that the wise men and Matthew's account was there too. You can either turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, or you can read uh, the passage uh, behind me. It says, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child. This is Herod speaking. and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The shepherd—I mean, the wise men—was there. Either they were there before the shepherds, or they all were there that night worshiping and praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what are the wise men? Wise men, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had wise men. They had their own religious practices. In the same fashion, God called these wise men out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. They denounced their pagan beliefs. They traveled to Bethlehem to worship Jesus who was laying in the manger. And when they saw Jesus, they presented gifts to him and bowed down to him. The wise men were Gentiles from a foreign country to worship God. They knew that the baby was the only means of receiving salvation. That baby was the only way of knowing the one true God. This is what Isaiah said. I will make you a light for the nations. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And in Psalms chapter 98 verse 3 says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. The only redeeming salvation God has given to the world is Christ Jesus. There is this, There is no salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven among men which was given that we can be saved other than Jesus. So it's safe to conclude that the wise men, the shepherds, the residents in Bethlehem, and Joseph were there, and they were all amazed at what was happening on that night. And I use the word amazed On purpose. Because as you can see in the text. Everybody else was amazed. But it was only one person who was not amazed. Only one person who was truly not amazed. And that was Mary herself. And verse 19. Says Mary treasured up. All these things pondering them in her heart. She treasured these things. The uh, Greek word for treasure is sent to send to It means to keep close, it means to preserve. This is why the word treasure is used in our in verse nineteen. Even Daniel said it himself, Then you said, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. She knew that her baby was the son of the most high. Therefore, in the midst of all the people who were amazed about this divine act that was taking place on that night, Mary wasn't. She was contemplating what was happening. Mary did not entirely understand what was happening. But she knew that her child was different than all the rest of the babies that will, that had and will ever be born. Mothers. How many times have you contemplated matters that concern your children? How many times have you have kept things to yourself and haven't told anyone? My mother, I'm sure, has kept things to herself plenty of times, and she is now just now telling me because we have built a friendship with each other. This is why I said the gospel illustrates that God preserves His people in Christ Jesus. We see two types of people here that has been represented. Those people who were there looking at Jesus and laying in the ma- who was laying in the manger represents how God I mean how the world views Jesus. People are amazed, some of them. People can be in awe. People think that Jesus is just a teacher or a great prophet. People think that he is just a mere man. But for those who were not only amazed, but treasured, within their hearts and mind knows different. They're not amazed about what Jesus They are treasuring Jesus in their hearts and minds. And for those who only profess with their mouths but does not truly believe in their hearts will be the ones that quickly fall away from the faith. They haven't treasured Christ. They haven't treasured the word of God who became flesh. The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the faith, from the true faith, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But those who treasures treasure Jesus in their hearts, they will be Preserve. They will be kept. They will not be moved by any wavy or unsound doctrine, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, as our Lord has said. For where your treasure is, there will there your heart will also be. Do you understand whenever you treasure Jesus not only in your mind but in your heart that the Lord will keep you? Whenever you have temptation you will be preserved. Whenever tribulations come you will not be moved. They For the Lord, as Psalms chapter 37 verse 28 says, for the Lord loves justice. He would not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Our last observation. The gospel glorifies God's only son Jesus Christ I'm sure you already know but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway it wasn't a coincidence that God's glory shone around the shepherds according to verse 9 it wasn't a by accident that the angel uh, started praising God and saying glory to God in the highest according to verse uh, 14. All of these things was done according I mean done to glorify Jesus Christ. We should know and if we don't that the gospel glorifies Christ and nothing else. It doesn't glorify you or me. It doesn't glorify health and wealth and prosperity. It doesn't glorify a church building. It doesn't glorify politics. It glorifies Christ and Christ alone. The word glory expresses different connotations. It expresses honor and respect. We know that... Glory—the manifestation of God's glory—is not His nature. It is something that precedes Him. When God's glory fell upon the tabernacle, that was like a covering of who He is, of His, of Him, him uh, of of who He is, and and of His divine presence. So we know that. His glory is manifested in different forms. I say Baptist preachers would say, Can I get an amen to that? Amen. <laughs> but when the first when the when the angel first appeared to the shepherds, according to verse nine, the glory shone around the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. And this is similar to Moses. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, Please show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And what happened next? Told Moses to hide behind a rock. And said to Moses, "My backside will pass you, and the back of my and my backside will. And once my backside pass you, you will see my glory." Later on, whenever Moses went up to, to the uh, temple, uh, uh, to uh, Mount Sinai, and came down, his face was glowing because of the glory of the Lord was upon him. So he had to put a veil upon his face because the people of Israel were uh, scared. And as we know in Hebrews, as the writer of Hebrews said, that particular glory was fading away. But when Moses made that statement, please show me your glory. Before all eternity passed, before time itself happened, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And this is what he said in John chapter uh, 14, verse 9. Jesus said... I have I been with you so uh, been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "Show us the Father"? He went on to say, in, in John chapter seventeen verse five, and now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The shepherds went away glorifying God. But I hope that they realize that the the glorification of God was right there laying in the manger. If you have seen Christ, you have seen the Father. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Glorifying and praising God for all that have seen. As it has been told. But do you know what happened next? Look at the text very quickly as I come to a close. Look at the text. But Mary, in verse 19, but Mary treasure up all these things, pondering them in their hearts. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they left. And do you know what automatically happens next? After someone believes in the personhood of Christ Jesus they immediately switch from being a newborn believer or believers to evangelists. In these stages, new Christians, they eagerly and boldly tell everyone about Jesus. These are your first evangelists that heard the good news and went out and proclaimed it to everyone else. They are they were willing to tell everyone that about the personal experience that they have had with the angels that led them to seek out the Christ and not the worst, they believe. I'm sure everyone had that experience before. I remember when I first became a believer, I thought everything was a sin. So not only was I was an evangelist, I was a Bible thumper. And I even thought everything in my life was a sin. Cuz I knew the glorification of Christ was important to me. I wanted to bring him honor. This is what Paul said in Corinthians. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised on a third day. Tell me what information is more important than knowing the power that is in the life and in the death and in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The gospel is the only information in this world that can change someone presently and eternally. What other information out there that is far important than this? Now we can understand that not only the gospel preserves believers but it glorifies Christ Jesus because when you receive the gospel it's hard for you to keep it to yourself you must go out practice Matthew chapter 28 and this is what we see in our text that the shepherds Return to what they were doing. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And before I close, I want to give you a fair warning because this is true in my life as well. It's just true in the Christian walk. The believer especially the new believer, that excitement can quickly dissipate. After the shepherds returned, we don't know what they were doing. They could have went back to their routine life after having this divine experience. After they glorify God and praising him on that night, went back to their work, everything is back to normal. And that excitement is just slowly going away. I wonder if they their evangelism continued. Did they went back to their work? Or did they went back to what was important to them, which is Christ? Or was it Similar In a sim- similar fa- uh, fashion of what the Lord said to one of the churches in Revelation, remember your first love. This is a part of the Christian walk. We all have experienced this. Some of you may experience this, uh, experiencing this now. We don't know. I would like to think that they not only went back glorifying and praising God, but they kept sharing the gospel message to everyone who they came in contact because their line of work was fitting for them to be evangelists. They were shepherds. They had the opportunity to travel because they needed to find good pasture for their sheep. This is the same thing for us. So, very quickly, the gospel compels people to believe in Christ Jesus. The gospel assures salvation to those who truly believe. The gospel illustrates that God will preserve his people in Christ. The gospel glorifies his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your word. I pray that you will press upon our hearts to not only be good listeners, but doers as well. Help us to take what we know to be true. And tell everyone who we come in contact with. Help us to glorify your son Jesus Christ. Because when we talk to people. When we interact and be around people. Our ultimate aim is not just to be their friends or co-workers. Our ultimate aim is to them to you so I pray that you will draw them to your son as you have drew the shepherds to your son and I pray that you will use us mightily and boldly to proclaim the good news to everyone help us not to shrink back help us not to turn the divine at the divine at that took place into a mundane at. Help us not to allow your gospel gospel to be irrelevant to people. The world may not like it. they may not want it, but you have commanded us to go to them anyway and to preach Christ. And as I pray for the ushers as they come up, I ask that you would use whatever we give and don't give uh, for the glorification of the advancement of your kingdom, Lord. As Pastor Gus have said numerous times, if you need to pay your light bill, pay your light bill. Pay your bills first. Before you give to the church. But who are whoever, whosoever is giving today, I pray that you will bless their lives. I pray that you will continue to give to them in many things. Because, Lord, as you look upon their hearts, I believe that they are giving to this ministry cheerfully. So, Lord, I pray that you will bless them, which you already have given them blessings that is in Christ Jesus. So we thank you and we praise you in Christ. Amen.